0: We are continuing in Daniel chapter two, Daniel chapter two, and so we finished Daniel chapter one. In Daniel chapter one, we learned about uh, uh, how how there, there was this uh, the, the first takeover of uh, Jerusalem. So there were actually three three times when Jerusalem was was, uh, was attacked. In the first time that Nebuchadnezzar attacked, he just took some of the nobility. He put in a puppet king and he he took some of the articles uh, of gold and silver. And then it was the second one, which were not yet. So so that was the first one. And then about six years later, there was a second attack. He took 10,000 artisans with him and many of the things from the temple. And then about another 11 years after that uh, was the third attack when he just totally wiped out and burned the city. But now, uh, so so Daniel went in this first wave in about uh, 600 B.C., 597 B.C., something like that, and uh, uh, he's he's, uh, been in this first wave, and we're going to pick it up now in in Daniel chapter 2, reading from verse 1. Now, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then he gave orders to call in the magicians and the conjurers and the sorcerers, and the, the Chaldeans to tell the king his dream. So they came in and they stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. And the king replied to the Chaldeans, The command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream... And it's interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare the dream and it's interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and it's interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Lord, and and they said, let the king tell the dream to his servants and we will declare the interpretation. Verse 8, the king replied, I know for certain that you're bargaining for time, inasmuch as you have seen that the command from me is firm. That is, if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except gods, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Okay, so what's interesting here is that if you look up in verse 1, it says, now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. So this is in the second year of his reign. It was the first year of his reign that he attacked Jerusalem. So this is just the second year of his reign, and we had read in chapter 1 that Daniel's education, Daniel and and his three friends, their education was a three-year education. So they are just in their second year of a three-year education when this happens, and that's why Daniel and his three friends were not brought in. They weren't out of school yet. They were still undergoing the training, learning Aramaic, they were still learning all the the science and the religion and the occult practices and the astrology of the Chaldeans, which was the most advanced on earth at the time. And so, he, you know, sometimes this is said that the king forgot his dream. He absolutely did not forget his dream because he says later on, he says, the reason I'm doing this is to make sure that you give me the right interpretation. I don't want you to just give me a bunch of fluff. And uh, uh, so... So during the second year of his reign, he has these dreams, and the, his spirit was so troubled because of the dreams that that uh, that it says his sleep left him; he couldn't get back to sleep. If he had not remembered the dream, you know, it wouldn't wouldn't have bothered him so much. But there was something so powerful about this dream, so he gave orders to call in all the magicians and the conjurers and the, and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans, to, and and it says that. Uh, um, he gave orders to call call them in and to tell the king his dream. So that's that's in verse two. He brought them in to tell him his dream. From the beginning. He didn't change the terms on them. From the beginning, he's saying, Bring them in here. They're, they have gotta tell me what dream I just had. And so they hear this. They say, You gotta come, you gotta come to the palace and you gotta tell the, the, the dream. That the king had to him, and they're thinking, how, how can this be? The, the the king's supposed to tell us the dream, and then we interpret it for him. The Chaldeans, so so it says, uh, um, so in, so they came in and they stood before him, and the king said to them in verse three, "I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream." Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, "O king, live forever." So it's interesting this. So, half of the book of Daniel is written in Hebrew. The other half is written in Aramaic. So, it was very easy for Daniel to go in and out of Aramaic because he had learned it well. Uh, and it's right here in verse 4 that now it starts in Aramaic. So, D- Daniel is starting to write in verse 4 in Aramaic and no longer in Hebrew. It says, then the Chalde- Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. So, why the Chaldeans of all of these other subgroups, the priests and the sorcerers? Because the Chaldeans are the ones who are ethnically Babylonian. And so you can see that the ethnicity is taking over. They're kind of leading the group. So so they're, they're the, the ones that are ethnically from that region. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants and we will declare the interpretation. They were already told. You're being brought in to tell the king his dream. And they're saying to him, tell us the dream and we'll give you an interpretation. That's the standard way. And the king replied to the Chaldeans, the command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you'll be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. Now this is not just a bunch of empty words. Not at all. Not a bunch of empty words at all. He says you're going to be torn limb from limb. I mean, that's not a very attractive way to go, is it? And your houses are going to be made a rubbish heap, meaning that I'm He's going to kill everyone in their home, and he's going to take their home and make it actually into a public latrine, public outhouse. That's what their home is. Their, their home is going to be. So he is really serious about this thing. Now remember the lessons that we're to learn in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is going to teach Daniel how to live during the time of Gentile rule. From the time of the Gentile rule, and this is when it happens. In in uh, in. Uh, this time of the Gentile rule is taking over. So from that point, from that first attack on, on Jerusalem, up on, through now, until the time of the second t- coming, this is the period of Gentile rule. Jesus referred to it, the time of the Gentiles. The time of the Gentiles is complete. And that's what we see. Generally, we are under, Jews have been, always been under Gentile rule. And even in Jerusalem, if you look at the city of Jerusalem now, that that though the Jew- Jews have authority in that, there's more than ten times more non-Jews living in the old city of Jerusalem than right now living in the city of Jerusalem, uh, uh, of Jews living in the old city of Jerusalem. And, They're under Gentile rule and we know that that Gentile rule is not going to change until the second coming of Jesus. That's when Gentile rule goes away. But how do Jews live under now Gentile rule? And the lesson for us as believers is how do we as believers live in societies where we are under non-believing authority? How do we live under this? And this is what he's instructing Daniel. So Daniel was taken, and he is still in school at this time, and he's just in his second year of school. So second year of three years school term. So it's sort of like being a sophomore. This is where Daniel and his three friends were in their education. And this is what's happening. And so they they say, you've got to tell us the dream, and then we'll interpret it for you. And so it says in verse 7, they answered a second time, and they said, let the king Tell the dream to his servants, and we will declare and interpret it. And then the king goes ballistic. He says, I know you're just trying to bargain for time. You're trying to slow me down because you see that the command is firm. And, and these guys are like terrified. We know from Daniel chapter 5 that Daniel was making reference in Daniel chapter 5 to Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, your grandfather Nebuchadnezzar, your father Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar was really the grandfather at that time, he he w- would kill in an instant anybody he wanted, and anybody he wanted he would li- would live. This man was a pure monarch every anything he wanted to do he could do. He was not bound by by Chaldean law, not at all very different than the Persian Empire, where they were bound by the laws of, of persia in 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 uh, uh, in Babylonia. He was a monarch. he could do whatever he wanted and and uh so then they say to him accurately in verse 10, he says, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter to the king, inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician or conjurer or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except gods, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. And in that, they were indeed right. There is no man who could do this. You say, what about all these, these, these interpretations and everything? It's, it's like this. I go, I go consulting very often. I go into a company, and that means I sit in a room, and different groups come in for 45 minutes or an hour. And so you'll have a team working on a certain project, and they will come in, and they'll spend the first 15 or 20 minutes sketching up on a whiteboard the things that they're doing and explaining the problem that they're now facing in this synthetic path or whatever, whatever they're working on. And then my job as a consultant is to give them ideas of things that might work. But imagine if they walked in and they said, well, your job as a consultant is to, you have to tell us what we're working on. And then after you've told us what we're working on, tell us what the problems are and tell us how to then solve those problems. I'd be like, uh, you know, this is not how it works. (laughs) No one has ever asked of this, any chemist of this ever, in all of history. Only the gods know what you're working on. I, I can't know what you're working on. This is exactly what's happening. So how did these men come up with interpretations? By naturalistic means. You can buy books on the interpretation of dreams. Now, I know to us Americans, dreams is, is a bunch of nonsense. But in many parts of the world, dream interpretation is not a bunch of nonsense. If you speak with Muslims today, Muslims, for example, today put a lot of stock in dreams. You look at it scripturally, a lot of stock was put into dreams and interpretations of dreams. God actually spoke in visions. In the New Testament, he spoke in a vision to Peter on a roof of, of a sheet coming down. He spoke, that wasn't a dream, it was a vision. He gave, he, in this case, he's going to give Daniel a vision. He spoke to uh, uh, Joseph in a dream, saying, don't put away your wife. You know, he spoke to him in a dream. So even in the New Testament, God is speaking in dreams. We don't put much stock in it, so generally God doesn't speak to us in dreams, because God does work even within cultures. He knows the way we work. But you can buy books on dream interpretation. And, you know, if you see a lizard, this is what it means. Is it right? Well, it's a naturalistic understanding of what people have compiled together. Is my consulting right? A lot of times what I tell them doesn't work. But they still pay me, because nobody knows the answers for sure. But hopefully, they consider it worthwhile enough that from the day, if I, could, if, if I could give them some direction, and then they end up solving it. Or if I could, you know, even solve one of their problems, they'll get back their money many, many times over. So, it's just to kind of expand their horizons. But here, they were solving things by naturalistic means. They would hear a dream, and they would begin to do it. But, if, I were to, if you were to tell me a dream, and I would say, oh, I, I can interpret that, and I Oh, well, you know, this is what's going to happen. It means you're going to have a very long life. You're going to have a great spouse. Your kids are going to be really great. But there is going to be one tragedy that occurs somewhere in the middle. How do you know I'm right or wrong? You have no idea. You have no idea if I'm going to be right or wrong. And this is what the king was dealing with. He says, yeah, I know these guys. But this dream was so disturbing to me. There is really something here. And I really got to know what's happening. These guys are really full of a bunch of baloney And, you know, and he knew it and they kind of knew it too. And so when he said that, uh, you know, what you're asking us to do, nobody knows this except the gods. And in a way, they're right. Nobody can know this. And so you see, even in all their mysterious things of what they were going on and signs that they could interpret in their astrology, it was all by naturalistic means. There really was no communication that they were getting. They could give them interpretation. And so what you're going to see here is now they're going to kill all of them. So they're, they're, it was a decree. It says that, that um, the king became indignant and, and furious. And so in verse 13, so the decree went forth. So it wasn't just turning to his guard and say, hey, kill all of these guys right here. He made a formal decree. So now with a formal decree, they're not going to randomly just go out and kill them. They're going to pull them all together and then just... You know, however, they killed people. Sometimes we saw that they threw people into into fires. You know, and they burned them up. Uh, uh, we're gonna we we've seen in Egypt. You know, when 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 Joseph gave the interpretation to Pharaoh, he, he would uh, he would impale people. He'd have them impaled. I mean, so they had elaborate ways of killing people so that everybody could see and fear the monarch. So we were gathering everybody together to kill them, and they were looking for Daniel and and his his, his three friends as well. But they were, remember, they were in the school dormitory. They weren't right there. So he sends out Arioch. Ariok, Ariok is, is the captain of the bodyguard. And so in verse 14, Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Ariok, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. And he said to Ariok, the king's commander, For what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? And Ariok informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. So Arioch comes in to get Daniel and he explains the situation. And often what you find, what you'll find throughout history, is that you will find now in this time of the Gentiles, from that time, it started in, 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 in the time of, of Daniel, you, you see it, but also when Joseph was in Egypt, you will see... that that Jews are going to rise to some of the highest places in government, but not be the leaders of the country. You see that today. If you take Barack Obama, so here you have an African-American man, Barack Obama, who's who's President of the United States. Who are the people that are closest to him advising him? David, David Axelrod. David Axelrod is a Jewish man. Rahm Emanuel. Rahm Emanuel is a Jewish man. I mean, if you just think of it, I mean, what's going on here? They don't normally hang out together. You know, they're not in the same group. They didn't have the same atmospheres growing up. But this is what you will often see. So many U.S. presidents, none of them Jews, but they've often had their chief of staff or chief advisors for them have been Jewish men. From this time you see it. Joseph, you see, was was, was an advisor to Pharaoh. And you saw how he was elevated. And this is what you will see throughout history. This is where you will see the Jews. And what the Jews are doing always is they're always making a way of protection for their fellow Jews. They're always defending for a way of protection for their fellow Jews. You saw it with Joseph in Egypt. Not only, he even told his brothers, he says, I've been sent here to protect life. And he made a very comfortable place for his family to live in the land of Goshen in Egypt. And he took care of them. And you see Daniel now, remember, he went with the first wave. He is going to be there for the second wave of of refugees that come and then the third very large wave. By that time, he's going to be extremely wealthy. In fact, after this incident, he's going to be extremely wealthy. And you will see the Jews uh, commanding large areas of financial resources within governments that they don't control. And look at the United States. You look in the banking industry. Go to New York City. Go to Wall Street. And look at the percentage of Jews that are, are are there in the top posts in Wall Street. Look at the number of university presidents that are Jewish. The number of Jews in the country is something around 2%. But if you look at university presidents... I'm not sure of the numbers, but it's got to be over 25% of university presidents are Jewish. What's going on here? Why is it? Because you see this throughout history. God is doing this, and he sets things up for the protection of other Jews through those Jews that are in these upper places. And, and uh, you're seeing exactly those same signs here, where these, these young men are going to be just, boom, thrust right up to the point where they are covering the, these important areas. Now, remember where we are here. This is the second year of their education. That means Daniel chapter 2 is happening before the end of Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, you say, well, why is that? Why didn't they write it chronologically? Well, duh, because that's because the Western world likes to write chronologically, and the rest of the world doesn't think that that's really important in many ways. They are speaking thematically. Daniel's theme in Daniel chapter 1 was his being taken into captivity and their education and what happened in that, how they came out so good at the end after three years. Now he's filling in some details of something that happened during that three-year education period. Here's something that happened. So we're switching to this other scene. So this is something that's happening midway through their educational time. So... Daniel says, he replies in verse 14, Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the, of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. So here this man is coming in and grabbing these young kids and saying, let's go. And Daniel says to him, it says he replied with discretion and discernment. So he doesn't say to Arioch, whoa, 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 hey, hey, watch the clothes, man. No, he's just, he is just, Somehow, replying with discretion and discernment, this is what we need. How do we reply to authority? How do you address your boss? How do you address those in authority over you? There's a way of addressing it, and many people have no idea. They just come walking in. I mean, student comes, well, freshman comes walking in my way. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Uh, kind of got this title, and I like you to use it. How's that? <laughs> you know? And, and um, so, so learning how to address people, if they say, go ahead, call me by my first name, then you're able to do it. But learning how to do it. And I'll tell you, to this day, my mentor, the one from whom I got my PhD, I will never call him by his first name. Never. Because I still look to him with a place of honor. And learning how to speak with discretion, Learning how to speak will set you in a place that's different than most other young people your age because you know they write email, uh, uh, hi and they just get into it. If you learn how to say, dear professor so and so and said, Well nobody writes emails like that. I do. I do. I always use this salutation, dear so and so. You learn to do it and you will stand out, you will be different. Daniel learned how to deal with discretion and learned how to answer and speak to people with proper honor. The New Testament says, give honor to whom honor is due. You do that, and you will be greatly blessed. You'll be greatly blessed. Learning how to do this. And Daniel, he replied with discretion and discernment, most people would be so terrified, they don't know what to say. And he says, he he, he asked, why why is this happening? And Ariok, the the, the, the king's commander said, for what reason is the, he said to him? For what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? And Ariok informed Daniel about the matter. This is probably not the first interaction that Arioch has had with Daniel. Daniel seemed to have some relationship here with the captain of the bodyguard. Now remember, the captain of the bodyguard is, is, is a policeman. Daniel is, is undergoing this education that's going to set him to be one of the top advisors to the king. Daniel could kind of turn up his nose at, 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 at these policemen that were around. But Daniel had a relationship with them. If we will learn to speak to people, to talk with, with custodians, to talk with uh, people in the food service area, learn to speak with them decently in his people and learn their name and, and, or just say, You know, do you have children? You ask somebody about their children, you show concern for somebody's children, they will instantly like you. Much more than if you just ask them how they're doing. If you ask them, do you have children? How are they doing? They will always remember you. So Daniel knew how it was to build relationships with people around him. This is really important in your careers. What I'm giving you is is treasures to help to launch your careers. You know, you're going to get into companies and you're going to see some little old guy walking around, and you can say, who's that old guy? Oh, he owns the company? (laughs) You know? This is what I I, I tell people, that there's not too many Jews in professional sports, but the ones that are there, they're in the owner's boxes, right? (laughs) And, And so learning how to deal with people with respect really will go a long way. Arioch really respected Daniel. Daniel was just a student. He was just like a sophomore. But Arioch respected Daniel enough to explain to him what was going on. And so Daniel appealed to him and so so then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. So he can't say to Arioch, look, back off, I'm going to the king. You know, it, it didn't happen that way. We know it didn't happen that way. He's making a request from Eric. Can you give me a moment to speak to the king? Just let me speak with the king. And so Daniel requests that the king would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Daniel has no idea whether he's actually going to get the interpretation. But what we know from Scripture is that Jews never got interpretations on dreams from Gentiles. Never. But Jews gave the interpretation of dreams to the Gentiles. We see that with Joseph. Joseph gave the interpretation to the king. Here, Daniel is trusting that God is going to give him what he needed to survive. Daniel understood what authority was, and he understood He's beginning to understand what his place here is in, all, uh, is in all of this. He is alive. He wasn't killed. He's been put in the best of schools. He knows God has not brought him here just to, just to get killed like this. Daniel could have been a very short book. Daniel and his three friends are taken into captivity. They refuse to do anything with the Babylonians. They were killed. That's it. That's the whole book. But what you see is Daniel learned How to deal with the people of that land. How do we deal as believers in a world that's dominated and run by unbelievers? And we're given just a short window in human history. Let's use it well. And so Daniel then in verse 17, Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, about the matter, so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning the mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. This is so interesting. So Daniel was actually, wasn't thrown into some prison waiting. He's allowed to go back to his house with his three friends and guess what they did? They had the first recorded college student prayer meeting. This is it. This is the first recorded student prayer meeting where students get together and they start to pray. This wasn't the leadership. This wasn't the faculty of the school. This wasn't the the, the Chaldeans and and, uh, 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 the great interpreters and the great priests. They're probably just terrified in their homes. But it's the college students that are gathering to pray. A friend of mine did his thesis on on the Great Awakenings throughout history. And he says that every Great Awakening came by students gathering to pray. You have no idea of the power you possess when you gather and you pray. No idea. How could the evening of elegance last night have gone off without any problems, without electrical problems and all sorts of stuff, because there was prayer going on, because people gathered to pray. When young people gather to pray, so much happens. And I'm trying to get this friend to come in here and speak one week, one one Sunday, and to tell us about the great awakenings that happened on college campuses. Because people, young people gathered to pray. Even when the administration was against what they were doing, they would gather and pray. And how it brought things to, to bear. Here you have history changing. If Daniel and his three friends are killed in this time, there would have been nobody there to set up for the protection of the masses of Jews that are about to come in to Babylon over the next decade. Daniel and his three friends, they get, they fall on their knees and they start a prayer meeting and they start praying. And there is a great awakening about to happen because remember what the wise men said, the only one that can reveal this is, with the go- is the gods. And they don't dwell with people. Well, they were part right. Only the gods can reveal it. But what we're going to see, and what we see in this very book, is that God interacts with people. What naturalistic folks will do is they'll say everything is natural. There's nothing spiritual. And then they say, well, if there is a spiritual, you keep that to church because it has really no impact on the naturalistic world. And what we're seeing is what we have, the relationship that we have with God, he impacts the lives of people. He interacts with people and he cares about their life. And this is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar is about to see that there is a God in heaven and He cares about Nebuchadnezzar so much so that He gave him this dream and He's interacting with people in this world. This is what we have as believers. It's not just something isolated for a Sunday faith. It is that God cares about human society and people and He interacts with them. You say, well, everything is preordained. God knows all the future, so it's all ordained to happen. It's not like that. It's not like that at all. Yes, God knows everything that's going to happen. I didn't start understanding this until we were building a synthetic brain, a molecular computer, a synthetic brain. You can stand back. God can stand. He knows everything that's going to take place. But there is a lot of free will that can happen within people's lives. He knows ultimately what it's going to happen. Of course he does. But he gives us free will decisions within this matrix. And this is exactly what we see. And He <clears throat> he comes and He speaks to us and He starts impressing Himself upon us and He calls us to prayer. Will we pray? Will we try to make a difference? Daniel and his three friends could have sat there and said, well, if God's going to give it to us, He'll give it to us. You know, if He wants us dead, we're dead. No, they interceded. Why did they intercede? Because they believed that by intercession, God would speak. By intercession, He would give the wisdom and, and we knew That God, remember we read in chapter 1, that not only had he made Daniel and his three friends ten times better than all the others, what he had done is he gave Daniel a special gift of dream interpretation. Daniel may well have known that he had this special gift before this incident. We don't know that. But when we were reading in chapter 1, remember at the end of chapter 1, it's a later date than where we're reading now in chapter 2. Daniel had this gift, but they're still imploring God. This is why when you teach a Bible study, you don't just go in and teach the Bible study. You fall on your knees and say, Lord, fill me for when I have to teach this. Let the Spirit of God come forth. And then watch the power. Watch the difference. We are called to pray because God intercedes in the affairs of humankind. That's what God does. He intercedes in the affairs of humankind. And that's what they're called to do. And they were the students. So if you think that you're not old enough to do something, this is exactly where it starts. The pattern throughout scriptures, over and over again, is he used young people. Not always, but the majority of times he used young people. Ezekiel felt that he was he was too old to, to he was too young to be called. Many of the prophets felt that they were too young to be called. Jeremiah felt that he was too young to be called. Isaiah felt that he was too young to be called. David was called when he was young. Timothy felt he was too young to be called. And and Paul had to assure me: he says, let no one look down on your youthfulness. You're not too young. And you're certainly not too young to pray and to intercede and see God's hand move. What the administration could not do in getting rid of Nod, you will do if you pray. And bring in this, this evening of elegance. Over the years, Nod will go away. How can this be? Because you pray. They gather together and they pray. So the power that you possess as young people in prayer, when God comes and He intercedes on the affairs of men, this is the demonstration of what we're going to see throughout this book, where God intercedes in the affairs of men and women when people learn to pray. Let's pray. Abba Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You that You challenge us and encourage us through Your Word. I pray for these young people that You would put a fire in their hearts to pray, to seek Your face, to understand the difference that they can make when no others can make the difference, the difference that they can make. The great awakenings that can come through college campus student prayer. Father I pray that you would get hold of their hearts. Father I pray that you'd be working in their hearts and that you'd also teach them to learn how to speak to authority, to learn how to make appeals, to learn how to interact. Father I pray that you would cause them to mature in their understanding, in their ability to speak. Lord I pray that you speak to their hearts. The grace of God be there. And Father I pray for those here who don't know you, Father Save their souls, I pray. And Lord, I pray that you'd give me interaction. You'd cross the paths of of the ones here who are seeking with other believers here in this room. That they could sit with them and share with them the truth of the gospel, the truth of the resurrection. Lord, let your power go forth, I pray, for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen.